<clears throat> hey everybody, welcome to uh, Unit 3, Civil Liberties and Civil Rights. Uh, we're going to be covering 3.5, 6, 7, and 8. So we'll cover a couple more amendments, selective incorporation in this one, uh, and some due process stuff. So uh, exciting stuff coming up for you in this review. Uh, remember, uh, if you didn't listen to the other one, uh, the first one for the Civil Liberties and Civil Rights, this is uh, only about... Um, 13 to 18 percent of your test so it's not a huge chunk of the test when compared to uh units one two and five however uh there are a lot of court cases that come from this and that's important to uh recognize and realize that you need to be able to uh use those court cases especially for the court case comparison frq so just keep that in mind <clears throat> all right well, let's jump into it 3.5 is the second amendment and the right to bear arms uh it's a pretty short uh essential knowledge thing uh, the learning objective is the same as the three points, two, three, and four, but I'll read it again since we've done it yet. Uh, explain the extent to which the Supreme Court's interpretation of the First and Second Amendment reflects a commitment to individual liberty. The essential knowledge piece here is the Supreme Court's decisions on the Second Amendment rest upon its constitutional interpretation of individual liberty. What does that mean? First off, I think you know the Second Amendment is the right to bear arms. <clears throat> and it is that last little bit there that we're talking about when we talk about people's individual liberty, all right? So do you have the, basically do you have the freedom as an individual to own a, a gun and that sort of stuff? Uh, and so far the Supreme Court has backed that up uh, almost every time, uh, even with some strict gun laws out there, they have overturned those laws typically and um, they have um, ruled in favor of the Second Amendment and people's individual liberty to own guns. Uh, the court case is not a required court case, so please hear me there. This is not a required court case. However, you could see it as a, uh, you know, a comparison case. Uh, D.C. versus Heller. Uh, in this case, D.C., Washington, D.C., had some pretty strict uh, gun laws. A, and I try to, Heller always confuses me with what he actually was. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was some like a security guard type of person. And he wanted to be a Washington, D.C. police officer. And he, I think he, he got into something. Like, I'm not sure if it was the academy, if he actually became a police officer or whatever it might be. Anyways, the D.C. law was that you could not have a, a gun put together in your house, all right, without permits and things like that. I think, I think you had to have permits. Or maybe you, maybe you couldn't have it regardless. There was no permits available or something. Anyways, very restrictive gun laws, the bottom line, is what you need to remember about the D.C. laws. And so Heller is going to argue this violates my right to, to bear arms by forcing me to have my gun taken apart in my house. Uh, you're limiting my individual liberty to own a gun. And the Supreme Court agreed with Heller. And so they, they overturned Washington, D.C.'s um, laws based on the fact that people have the right to bear arms and it's their individual liberty. All right, 3.6. Um, this deals with amendments balance and, and the, so it's amendments, colon, balancing individual freedom with public order and safety. So this is something we've touched on in other reviews. If you've listened uh, to all of them, you might've heard me talk about this. The, the, and it's a fine line that the government has to work, uh, walk, excuse me, trying to make sure that we as the public are safe, but also making sure that we as individuals have the freedoms that are guaranteed to us under the, the, uh, the amendment. So the learning objective does change up here. 
And it says to explain how the Supreme Court has attempted to balance claims of individual freedom with laws and enforcement procedures that promote public order and safety. Now, the essential knowledge part, there's two things. First off, the court decisions defining cruel and unusual punishment involve interpretation of the Eighth Amendment and its application to state death penalty statutes. So let's unpack that one first. So the Eighth Amendment, balancing individual freedom with public order and safety. The Eighth Amendment, we tie it to the death penalty all the time, but the Eighth Amendment goes you know, beyond that. And it's all the different penalties that are out there uh, for laws that have been broken and stuff like that. And the, the courts have to weigh and decide, is this person going to jail forever? Is this person being executed? Is it worth it to kind of violate their Eighth Amendment rights? Okay. Uh, to be sure and keep everybody protected and safe. So you think about some of the worst, maybe serial killers that are, that are out there. Uh, or I read an article today about... Uh, the, the there was these abductions in Cleveland. Uh, this person and I can't remember his name now had uh, abducted abducted these three young women and was forcing them to live with him. It was, he, he kept them chained in his house and and this was like for 10, 15 years. It was a long time. One of them finally escaped and he was caught and all that kind of stuff. He, he was sentenced to a thousand years in jail. Okay, but you know that's obviously beyond a lifetime. So, you know. The, the courts decided this guy's individual liberty, his individual freedom needs to be taken away for public order and safety. This guy had kidnapped these three young ladies and kept them chained in this freaking house. Okay. So they, they were able to make that decision. Sometimes it's not that easy for the courts. Okay. Uh, these are never decisions to be taken lightly. And I, I hope they never are. All right. The next essential knowledge piece is the debate about the second and fourth uh, amendment involving concerns about public safety and whether or not the government regulation of firearms or collection of digital uh, data promotes or interferes with public safety and individual rights. All right, so we've already talked about the Second Amendment and the debate there. You know, your right to own a gun versus people's right to feel safe. It's it's a heavy, heavy, heavy balance that the, the, the courts have to make, that the government itself has to make, you know. Um, so the Second Amendment, we've already kind of touched on. The Fourth Amendment, that's the uh, no unlawful search and seizure. And uh, once again, it's something that, you know, has to be weighed and weighed heavily. Where is your right to privacy? You know, uh, your phone, you're airdropping all kinds of stuff. You're looking at all kinds of data on your phone and all that kind of stuff. Is it super private? Is it private enough to where... You know, or is what what's going on, what's happening in the world in America, where you know they might need to to look at people's personal data. They might need to look at your text messages, your emails, your your whatever, in order to try and protect the the large group. All right, a couple of years ago, I think it was the was it, there was a shooting in Las Vegas, I think, and uh, they were the the police and the FBI were trying to get into the guy's phone, and Apple refused to, to crack it for, for, you know, because they said, Hey, this violates individual freedom. Uh, don't quote me on that. That might not be exactly how it went down. I know they were refusing to, to crack into the phone. Uh, Apple was. So anyways, it's just that, that weight of 
individual freedom versus public safety? Where does one end? Where does one start? What's good for the group? And, and you know, what am I willing to give up as an individual to make sure that everybody is safe? So it's a question that people uh, have to ask. Okay. Uh, selective incorporation is 3.7. And it's another learning objective. It says explain the implications of the doctrine of selective incorporation. The essential knowledge has a court case, McDonald versus Chicago, which deals with the Second Amendment, but we also have to understand the 14th Amendment here as well, okay? Selective incorporation deals with the fact that the states have not always wanted to incorporate the Bill of Rights and the amendments because the argument is that those things, those items are agreements between the federal government and citizens, not state governments. Okay. So that is where this argument has come from. The fact that states have not always wanted to implement, respect the Bill of Rights and its other amendments. Okay. Um, it, it started, so two court cases, neither of them are required. Barron versus Baltimore is what kind of empowered the states to an extent. In this case, very quickly, Baltimore had dug into the harbor. They had tried to dredge the harbor to make it a deeper harbor. In doing so, they had shifted the, the seafloor, the bottom. And Barron, I don't know exactly what his business was, but he had a deep harbor that he used. So ships could come in and load and offload and all that kind of stuff. And now all of a sudden, because of the work that Baltimore had done, um, they, his, his deep harbor was gone. And so his argument was, you've taken away my, my personal property. Okay. You can't do that. Eminent domain does not allow that, all that kind of stuff. And uh, basically the, the courts are going to rule in, in favor uh, and, and say that, yeah, well, you know, that doesn't apply here. That's a federal thing. This is a state thing. So that happened. Then in 1925, you have Gitlow versus New York. I don't really know all the details of Gitlow versus New York, but they reverse that trend. And that's where we really start to, to pick up with in selective incorporation, where states are going to have to implement these Bill of Rights. And, and you know, the protections that the Bill of Rights offer, all right, are going to be and, and the why it's called selective incorporation is because after Gitlow versus New York, the protections uh, have been selectively incorporated, okay? Uh, and they use the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment has due process uh, clause, which prevents states from stopping basic liberties. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a complicated thing to think about. But if you can just remember, at the end of the day, selective incorporation means that States are pretty much required at this point to implement the protections and due processes that come with uh, the Bill of Rights. Okay. The court case you got to know for this one is McDonald versus Chicago. And it is a, uh, another uh, gun right thing. That's why the Second Amendment is mentioned here. Uh, and in this case, basically, Chicago had some pretty strict gun laws in place. And there, McDonald was looking to uh, you know, have a gun and whatnot. And the Supreme Court is going to rule that the Second Amendment 
right to keep and bear arms is applicable to the state. So basically, states and cities cannot have super strict gun laws and say, well, the Bill of Rights doesn't apply to me. And so it kind of reversed the trend of trying to, to create strict gun laws, okay, uh, because of selective incorporation and the fact that uh, 14th Amendment's due process does protect individuals uh, and keep the states from infringing upon basic liberties. The Second Amendment and the right to bear arms is one of those. If you don't understand this case, if you don't understand selective incorporation, please come see me and let's sort it out. All right. Finally for today is 3.8, the due process and the rights of the accused. In this, the learning objective states that to explain the extent to which states are limited by the due process clause from infringing upon individual rights. Okay, so the 14th Amendment has the due process clause. Uh, it also has the equal, uh, equal uh, rights uh, clause, which we'll talk about in a little bit uh, in another podcast, not today. Okay, so the essential knowledge, there are uh, four things here. First off, the court has on occasion ruled in favor of states' power to restrict individual liberty, as, for example, when speech can be shown to increase the danger to public safety. So this goes back to what we talked about in the first Unit 3 review podcast about, uh, you know, there are some, some words, there is some speech out there that can elicit certain emotions, and, uh, you know, you can't do that. Um, the, and the courts have backed that up with some of their decisions um, where inflammatory speech has been limited, Okay. The next thing deals with the Miranda rule. The Miranda rule involves the, the next piece of essential knowledge. The Miranda rule involves the interpretation and application of accused persons due process rights as protected by the fifth and sixth amendment. Yet the court has sanctioned a public safety exception that allows unwarned interrogation to stand as direct evidence in court. What does all that mean? Okay. The Miranda rule, first off, you probably are familiar with this. If you've watched any kind of TV and any cop show on TV, it's where someone uh, has been arrested and they get their rights read to them. And one of those rights is the fact that anything you say can and will be used against you. Basically, they're saying, you don't have to talk to me. And if you do, then I can use this stuff against you. That's because Miranda confessed to his crime. He was accused of uh, attacking and raping a, a young lady back in the uh, 50s, 60s, I can't remember. And um, after he was convicted based on that confession, he's like, I didn't know I didn't, know I didn't have to talk to the police. And the Supreme Court heard, heard, heard his appeal, and they decided, yeah, that's that should be something you should know. And so he got a second trial. He was still found guilty, but he was given that second trial uh, based on that. So what are we talking about here with this? Uh, so we know what the Miranda rule is now. Uh, and the, the second part said, yet the court has sanctioned a public safety exception that allows unwarned interrogation to stand as direct evidence in court. Okay. Uh, so the courts over the years have occasionally allowed police questioning. And typically it's going to be when it deals with national security. So basically it's a case by case basis where the courts are going to sometimes allow uh, the police to interrogate people without their Miranda rights being read. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's a good enough explanation for you, but in the essence of time, it's what I've got right now. If you can understand that uh, the court and going back to that previous 
topic that we talked about, 3.6, about balancing individual freedom with public order safety. Sometimes there's going to be that, hey, we got to question this person. It doesn't matter if they know their rights. So maybe it's uh, you know, something to deal with uh, terrorist, uh, terrorist actions or, or whatever it might be, and they don't get their rights read to them. Okay, so that's where we're, where we're going to from there. All right, uh, the next essential knowledge piece says, pretrial rights of the accused and the prohibition of unreasonable searches and seizures are intended to ensure that citizen liberties are not eclipsed by the need for social order and security, including, and then there are four, uh, three bullets, okay? So basically, this is going with the Fourth Amendment stuff here and the fact that you can't be unreasonably searched and seized. Okay, they cannot come into your house without permission, without a warrant, without probable cause. Uh, and, you know, even if they are going to be screaming and saying, hey, we're trying to protect the good of the whole group here, uh, they still usually probably can't take your uh, come in and search you. All right. Now, the bullets deal with some other things here. First one, the right to legal counsel, speedy public trial and an impartial jury. That's Sixth Amendment stuff there. All right. So you are guaranteed the right to counsel. So if you're ever arrested, the only thing you should say is I want a lawyer and don't talk to the police after that because you're guaranteed one. You're going to get a speedy and public trial. So you're going to get to, to have a judge hear your trial. Uh, you're not going to sit in jail for five years and wait. And then an impartial jury. The next bullet says protection against warrantless searches of cell phone data under the fourth amendment. Okay. So this goes back to, I was talking about how Apple would not crack the, the Apple iPhone of that guy that had shot up the concert in Las Vegas. Um, and your cell phone is protected nowadays. Okay. You, there was a court case and I can't remember the name of the court case right now, but um, there, they basically said, you got to have a warrant to get into somebody's phone. They cannot make you put in your code for phone because there's so much personal information out there. So they, they're not going to be able to come in and grab your phone and uh, take a look at it. Now, once again, we have gotten into some situations where, you know, people are going to be reading. Can they read texts and data and email and all that kind of stuff? And that, that's a question for the courts, really. And then limitations placed on bulk collection of telecommunication data. And this deals with the Patriot and the USA Freedom Act. So they, they used to have it in place where they could you know, look at your stuff. And in some cases, they still can. Um, you know, but is your stuff protected? That's the question. You know, and is it good for the, the group? public order and safety, if this person's unlawful search and seizure on their cell phone was violated because they saw someone text or write an email about uh, blowing up a building or whatever it might be. All right, the final one uh, is <clears throat> the due process clause has been applied to guarantee the right to an attorney and protection from unreasonable search and seizures as represented by, and you got two bullets. First off, required court case, Gideon versus Wainwright. So you've got Gideon versus Rainwright. This was a case where um, Gideon was charged with and eventually convicted of robbing some kind of store, bar, something like that. Uh, he asked for a lawyer, but because it was a misdemeanor, he was not given one. At the time, they only gave lawyers to people who committed felonies. <laughs> so he's charged, goes to trial without a lawyer, is convicted because he couldn't afford one, well, was convicted. He is going to appeal based on the fact that, hey, I should have had a lawyer. And the Supreme Court is going to eventually agree with him uh, that the, the Sixth Amendment and all that kind of stuff guarantees everybody a lawyer. So this is why I say if you're ever arrested, hopefully you never are, but if you ever are, ask for a lawyer. 
All right, the last bullet for this one says the exclusionary rule, which stipulates evidence illegally seized by law enforcement officers in violation of the suspect's Fourth Amendment rights to be free from unreasonable search and seizures cannot be used against the suspect in criminal prosecution. So this is about the exclusionary rule. <clears throat> this comes from a court case that is not a required court case. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is, comes from Matt versus Ohio. Uh, basically, the, the police illegally searched Matt uh, looking for an escaped convict. They found other stuff they arrested her for. So can they use that against her? Well, they tried to, but she appealed and the Supreme Court found that, no, you cannot. You cannot use illegally obtained evidence against you. So if they stop you and just search you for no reason and they find something on you, chances are it's probably going to get kicked out because they cannot illegally search you. All right. Now, if they stop you and they have probable cause to search you or they ask your permission and you say, sure, search me, and they find something, they can use that. But if it's something that's illegally obtained by the police, the exclusionary rule says they cannot use that against you. All right, guys, a lot of stuff in there. If you have questions, concerns, especially about the selective incorporation stuff, especially about Chicago versus McDonald or the, the stuff we talked about there with the Miranda rule and how you're not supposed to be illegally interrogated and all that kind of stuff, but they're allowing some of those things. If you want to talk about any of that stuff, please remind, text me, email me, uh, message me, uh, social media, whatever it might be, find me and let's talk it out. All right, guys, take care. Bye-bye.